Sal Berry. I know football about as well as I can throw a football, which isn't very far. And Tim Parrish. Breaking news, next year the NHL will be testing out their new color television broadcasts. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about the 2021-22 SP Authentic Hockey Card Set. We're also going to talk about a few other topics of things that are going on in the world of sports card collecting and hockey card collecting. Tim, how you doing today? Oh, you know, if I was any better, I'd hire you to enjoy it with me. You'd what? I'd hire you to enjoy it with me. Okay. It sounds like a pretty fun job. We just, what, hang out and shoot pool and drink beer and listen to rock music? I mean, I can't think of anything better. Yeah. Other than to add the card element. Oh, we, yeah. We could shoot pool for cards. Yeah, or we could just, we could just like, open cards and sort cards, and that's more fun than pool. Oh, pool is fun, but I'm just not good at it. I'm better at pool than bowling. I'm terrible at bowling. Pool, I know what I need to do. Like, mechanically, I know, like, what I need to do to, like, make the thing do the thing. But, like, with bowling, I know what I need to do, but I just do it, like, so terribly wrong. So, uh, yeah. Billiards is not the easiest game in the world. It looks easy, but it's mm-hmm. not. It takes some skill. Bowling, yeah. I don't think, takes any skill. You just throw it down the lane and hope it hits something. Yeah, well, I always hit the gutter. I wonder how many hockey players are good bowlers. I know a lot of them are good golfers, but I wonder if there's any that are good bowlers. I don't know. You see, though, uh, Steph Curry is a good golfer now. Yeah. That's crazy. Those athletes have a lot of time in the off season, so especially when you're a winter sport and you're off during the summer and fall. Plus hand-eye coordination. You ever notice that, like, whenever they have the shoot the puck and they'll have, like, an ex-football player or an ex-basketball player they usually score the goal, you know, where they put the board out that has like the three little notches cut and you got to shoot the puck like from the red line. Yeah. The ex-athletes, you know, even though if they're a football player or, or wrestler or whatever, they usually have that like hand-eye coordination where they, they can figure it out really quick and do it. So I'll have to look that up and see how many hockey players are known for their bowling skills. I know Mookie Betts actually competed in the like professional bowling league. He's a baseball player, though. All right, so let's talk about the biggest sports card show, the National. I know we talked about it a little bit last week. I just want to, you know, talk about it again because that's coming up real soon. Uh, So the National Sports Collectors Convention is going to take place July 26th to July 30th in Chicago, technically Rosemont, at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center. The VIP passes are sold out. But they are still selling five-day non-VIP passes and also one-day tickets. So the VIP passes let you get in a half an hour early and also come with some autograph tickets for the quote-unquote VIP signers. As far as hockey autograph guests, the only ex-hockey players, well, I say ex, but I know one is still playing, former Blackhawk Murray Bannerman is going to be signing autographs and former Penguin and... Rune and Flyer and Devil and Panther and Ranger and Capital and uh, am I missing any teams? Yarmir Yager is also going to be signing autographs. I'd love to get in on that one, but it ain't happening. Yeah, and not for like 150 bucks an autograph. That's I think it's 150 
for a card or photo and like 170 for a premium item, you know, like a jersey or something. Which compared to the way some of his autos, like some of his certified autos have been selling lately, that's actually not that bad. But I shudder to think about the line of people that will be waiting for that. Well, last year he made his first national appearance when it was in Atlantic City. And I guess it was a popular enough response that he's coming back this year to the national again. Because if nobody wanted to get his autograph, then they would have taken a loss on paying him for the appearance fee, the autograph fee, whatever. But the fact that he's coming back for a second year in a row, that's a good sign that he was well-received. So I wish there were more hockey autograph guests. I mean, we know that the place to go for hockey autographs is the Fall and Spring Expo in Toronto. A lot of those signers are pretty affordable. But yeah, at the National, I mean, it's a little different because it's... But you're telling me the biggest show in the United States, or... All right, whether you call it the biggest show or not, it's arguably billed as the biggest show. You can't tell me that they can't find five. Let's have 50 baseball and 50 football and 50 basketball and 20 whatever else. You can't tell me you can't find five hockey players. Even local hockey players, there's plenty of Blackhawks they could have just thrown in there. Yeah, they could have had, you know, Adam Burrish or Patrick There's Sharp tons of guys that or... go to everything, and they should, they, they sign stuff all the time. I mean, Dennis Savard. I mean, there's so I'm many I'm not guys... knocking the Yager gig because that's a great get. But right. at the same time, him and Murray, Murray Bannerman, who's been at plenty of these yeah. and at plenty of shows yeah. and frequently signs. It's underwhelming because... Murray Bannerman was a regular at the Blackhawks conventions, and then he'd also be at the National. I mean, I remember one summer I got his autograph at a Blackhawk convention, and then like a week later I got his autograph at the National. So he and Eddie Olchek, when Olchek was working for the Blackhawks, would also be another one that would be at the National a lot. And so, yeah, I mean, you'd think there'd be like some more hockey guys, especially considering that there's a lot of players from other Midwestern teams you know, a lot of like ex-Milwaukee Bucks and ex-Milwaukee Brewers and Detroit Tigers. And, you know, like it's it's kind of got more of like a, a, a Midwestern, I don't want to say focus, because you still have your big superstars from wherever, you know, because big superstars are going to be a draw no matter what. But then, you know, there's a lot of like regional heroes and don't really see any of that for hockey. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's, you can't, that's a little You can't sad. tell me they couldn't find somebody from either the Red Wings or the Blackhawks, two of the original six, over the years that's still around that would sign, or even somebody from, like, the Blues, the Blues. who've been around since 67. So or an ex-North like, Star or something. Yeah. They could have easily found five people and just stuffed them in there and, you know, whatever. But I digress. I don't stand in the autograph line, so I guess I'm speaking out of turn. But anyway. Yeah. It would have so, been, at least been nice to, to have that as an option or or to see them. So anyways, this doesn't quite make up for it, but maybe it does just a little bit. But I'll be at the National. I'll be at the National. I'll have a puck junk booth set up. Um, How much are your autographs? My autographs are worthless. So uh, I think I have to pay you to sign something. I think that's how it works. Like, I'll be at booth 1011. And I'm going to be giving away the Puck Junk Bad Hockey Card Hall of Fame trading card set. It is a six-card set, five cards commemorating 
five of the worst hockey cards ever made, plus a header card, because I like that sort of thing with the checklist on the back. So I printed up 500 of those sets, and I will be giving those out to whomever wants one. Just stop by the Puck Junk booth, booth 1011, ask for a set, I'll give you one. If you're not coming to the National, just reach out to me, however, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, let me know that you want a set, and I'll mail you one free of charge. I've had people reaching out to me already because they heard in the last podcast that I was going to be giving these out. And they're like, hey, if I cover shipping, can you send me a set? I'm like, no, 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 I'll pay the shipping. I'll mail it to you after the national. Like, I'll set one aside, but after the show, I'm going to just, like, sit down and just address a bunch of envelopes and send them out. I'm also going to be selling my T-shirts at 20% cheaper than what I sell them for online. So if you are looking for a cool hockey T-shirt, I'll be selling a bunch of those. Also, I just thought this was interesting. I'm just going to throw this out. This is unrelated to me or, or anything else. But remember the uh, Ludex app and how they were sponsoring a local card show called the Ludex Sports Card Show? Now... Yeah, you were doing that one for a while, were you? I was. Yeah, I was doing that. And then um, I wasn't able to do the last one because of a schedule conflict. I'm not going to be able to do... They're actually going to have one this Saturday, the 22nd of July. But here's the thing. It's no longer called the Ludex Show. It was originally called the Skyline Room Sports Card Show because it was held in the Skyline Room in Rosemont. It's actually like a room off of the um, Allstate Arena. And Ludex is now sponsoring the VIP Lounge at the National. And I guess because they're sponsoring this VIP Lounge, they can't sponsor their own show or they don't want to sponsor their own show. I don't know what the story is there, but I just thought it was interesting because I'm on Facebook and it's like the Ludex card show is now the Skyline Sports Card Show. And I'm like, huh? And then like a day later, I got an email from the National because I'm on their mailing list. And it's like, Ludex will be sponsoring the VIP Lounge, which will have food and a full bar and other stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's... Interesting. It makes no sense to me why you can't sponsor multiple things. That's weird. I don't know. I don't want to get my name out there as much as possible. I mean, if it's a business venture and they're a company and they're advertising, why not? I don't know. Whatever. So anyway, so um, that's what's up at the National. And, you know, the other thing I want to just throw out there really quick, a little more self-promotion, is that I recently wrote an article about hockey NFTs for the Hockey News. And it is in the current issue, the Champions issue, which has hit mailboxes about a week or so ago. Should be on newsstands. If you can find a place that sells magazines, I know Barnes & Noble usually sells it. I don't know where else to buy a magazine if I wanted to buy one in person. Meyer I mean, still has a big magazine section. Really? I don't know if you have a Meyer anywhere near you. We got them in Illinois now, but not one near me. Anyways, so I wrote this article... And I talk about hockey NFTs. I talk about how Upper Deck came out with Evolution and how Sweet is coming out with NHL Breakaway. The article was published in the magazine. It was published online. And what was funny about that was when it was published online, Hockey News tweeted it out, which was great. They included me on it, which is also great. And then what was really funny was... The article got quote tweeted over 200 times, had a ton of impressions. I don't know how much traffic it got, but everyone was just roasting the NHL for getting into the NFT game so late. And I even say it's a little perplexing that the NHL is now getting into this two years after it peaked. And 
it seems like everybody else is agreeing with that sentiment because everyone was making fun of the NHL and how backwards they are when it comes to marketing and promoting themselves. I think Marty, my favorite comment of all of them that I read, and I read a lot of them, but then uh-huh. I quit after a couple of days of reading them. Um, <laughs> but my favorite one was something like breaking news next year, the NHL will be testing out their new color television broadcasts as opposed to the black and white or something of that nature. I thought it was funny. By the way, that is why the red line was usually dashed. So people watching hockey on a black and white TV could tell the red line from the blue line. Cause when it's a black and white TV, red and blue looks alike. So that's why the red line was traditionally dashed. Don't know if you knew that or not. I may have known it, but it was not in front of mind. So No, that's okay. Now um, I know it again. So some of the other comments, this might be the most NHL thing the NHL has ever NHL'd. Few things are more NHL than the NHL launching lines of NFTs well after everyone has realized they're a, a ridiculous scam. NFTs are terrible in general, but the NHL officially hopping on that train when the NFT fake market crashed. Hilarious and very on brand. You know, the interesting thing about that, and you, you know, you interviewed him in the article, Jason Masheroff from Upper Deck, and talked about, you know, their digital items that they're having. What are they calling them? Digital collectibles? Authentic digital collectibles. Authentic digital collectibles, yes. Right. Uh, Through the evolution platform. I didn't really see too many people commenting about that. It was mostly just about the NHL jumping on board to the NFT because there's different aspects to the upper deck one that you don't really have with a traditional NFT. And I think, you know, even though you touched on it in the article, I think people would be, I think they would be less critical of that because it has a lot more dimension to it other than some type of blockchain code of whatever it is you're buying. Right. A lot of the NFTs, when I was researching for this article and I was like looking into that Matthew Kachuk NFT and stuff like that, like, a lot of these things were sold for Bitcoins. I think they're all, or most of them were sold on Ether or Ethereum or Ethereum. I'm not Ethereum, quite sure. Yeah. Ethereum, right. So, you know, I'd see, it would sell, said that it sold for this much and it'd have like three stacked lines. And I'm like, what is that? That's is e- or that's like, can be defined as in like my biology class, right? But that's the lot, that's the, symbol for ethereum like an e without the vertical stroke and i'm like okay so you need to have bitcoin to buy these or you need to take money convert it to bitcoin it's like when you go to a carnival and you want to get a beer but you have to get the tickets to get the beer like a festival rather and you're like i want a beer and beer is like eight tickets and you're like oh and then you have to go to the ticket booth and you have to buy the tickets but they only come in books of 20. so then you've bought 20 tickets to buy your beer, that's going to cost you eight tickets. And then the hot dog costs 14 tickets. And then you don't have enough. Well, I'm getting off topic. But you know what I mean? Like when you have to buy one type of currency to purchase the thing that you want, whereas with like EPAC and also with like Breakaway, that just uses money. That's just like American dollars. It's yeah. not Bitcoin and stuff like that. Right. Um, Although I suppose you could use Bitcoin to buy an EPAC maybe. You'd have to, want to but... transfer it first, though, I think. Probably. So anyways, I will link to the article. It's called The Collecting Evolution. 
and it's on the Hockey News website, and I will send you a link to that. Now, I know earlier we are on the topic of the national, but you want to talk about this Fanatics thing, so Fanatics getting into the card show business. Should we yes, all be afraid? Everybody's, everybody should be so excited because Fanatics, who's already bought up half of everything in the hobby, is now going to take over card shows. Yay! Should so, should the hobby should, bros be clutching their cases in fear right now? I, no, this is for them. That's who Fanatics caters to. Apparently it is, yeah. This, because this is what they're going to love. As they announced it, they're launching a new live events vertical, meaning they're stacking all of these different portions of the hobby together right. and owning it under one umbrella. But they have as a minority partner, if you read through the statements that were put out, IMG. And those of you that don't know who IMG is or haven't heard of IMG, IMG is a media, I don't want to call them a conglomerate because that would be like they own a bunch of newspapers and magazines and stuff, but they are a company that essentially contracts out and has under their umbrella personalities, whether it's athletes, you know, leagues, Actors, models, you know, media personalities, uh, artists, musicians, fashion people. They keep all of this under a huge umbrella and they do stuff kind of like an agent, like an agent's group. So they're partnering with these guys. So, so not only do we have Fanatics that takes over and has the most of the licensing for the major sports, they have the means to produce the cards now with having tops. They can make their own stuff. They own pretty much all of the apparel and have all the apparel licensing that they already have. And, you know, they now have a marketplace that they can sell on and they have an auction capabilities that they picked up. And now they're taking over all of the breaking and bringing it all in-house because they own all the distribution and they can make all the rules. Now they're going to do live events that are supposed to be geared to be more like Comic cons for sports memorabilia. Well, we have that. We have that. It's called the National. It's called the other major sports shows around the country, like the Dallas Show and like the White Plains Show and like the Toronto Sports Expo, but that's Canada, I guess. So they get an exemption. But we have a lot of these types of shows that are geared for this type of thing. Now Fanatics is going to get in on it. And they're going to have these vents. What they're saying is as early as next year, and they're going to start off with a pretty big one that's going to be some type of con. Not really sure what it's all going to be about. But from what I read, Sports Business Journal put out an article about this probably a few days ago, talking about the whole process. And they hired uh, Lance Fensterman, who was the founder of Read Pop. And Read Pop was a live events business that created – like a whole bunch of events under its umbrella that it sponsored and designed and basically ran like the star Wars celebrations. Those were all them, the New York comic-con that was theirs. So they hired this guy to be, I don't know what his title is like chief strategy growth officer or something like that. Or I don't know, chief of comic-cons. I don't know what his title is, but whatever it is, the whole idea is that they're going to put on these events that are supposedly going to cover everything from 
having athletes present, signing autographs, to major brands dropping product, to selling footwear and apparel and having live stage events and selling merchandise and having exhibitions and having trading card companies and memorabilia collectors and all this kind of stuff all in one. Again, we have this. It's called the National. And so they're going to have this, I don't know how many times a year, however many times they want. Where they're going to put it, I don't know. Fanatics is an East Coast company. Are they going to throw all these on the East Coast? <laughs> or are they going to just bounce these around and have them everywhere? So well, I, I don't know. if they're going to follow the Comic-Con model, you're going to have New York. You're going to have a West Coast. You know, like Comic-Con was San Diego Comic-Con, and then it just became Comic-Con. So they were like just bringing up Comic-Con, like because when I really kind of started going to conventions, like bigger conventions in the 90s, there was Comic-Con Chicago, Comic-Con San Diego, which was just known as Comic-Con. And then there was Comic-Con New York. And these were all very big shows. And then eventually they got bought by Wizard Magazine, who was a popular comic book magazine at the time. And it got more expensive. They basically like increased the price, but decreased the floor space. And it was like more cramped. And I guess the reason why I'm bringing that up is because, like, when you have these shows that are that kind of like grow organically, like the National did and like Comic Con did, they're great for a while, whether that while is five years or 10 years or 20 years or 40 years. But eventually, you know, when somebody else comes in and says, All right, well, you know, I'm a big business and I'm going to take this over or we're going to do it this way and we're going to just flip the industry on its ear. And, you know, usually, these cater to people with deeper pockets. They're not thinking about the $50 table or $100 table for somebody to set up at the show. They're they're thinking about $800, $2,000 corporate booth type things. I mean, I've looked into some of these other shows. Well, I'll give you like a perfect example, like C2E2. Like if I wanted to be a vendor at C2E2, it is like, well, it's less than what it costs to be at the national, but it's not the national. It, and, no. and C2E2 is one of several entertainment expos. You know what I mean? So it it's like... And you know what? And I hear nothing but people complain about how much ticket prices cost for C2E2, for Comic-Con. When I heard tickets were 30 bucks this year for the National, I was like, wow, that seems steep. I think that's what they were last year, though. So... Sounds about right. But I remember not. when I went back in 2008, it was 20 bucks. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, sure, inflation, but mm-hmm. I, I never hear anything but people complain about how much tickets cost to those Comic-Cons. A lot of complaints have turned into, they've turned into these corporate shilling events mm-hmm. where it's just everything is sponsored by everything else and it's just people slapping their name on everything and there's no authenticity to it anymore and it's not fun. I mean, I'll give you another great example. I used to be really big into collecting Transformers and they had a Transformer convention called BotCon. They, I think it's still around, but, you know, this is like a show f- that started in, like, the mid-90s, just as Transformers were, like, going away. This is, like, the early 2000s. I started going to these conventions, BotCon, and they were great. They were fan-run. They'd have, like, voice actors signing autographs and stuff like that. And then what happened was, was then Hasbro stepped in, and then BotCon became... 
the official transformer. No, that would have been better. It was called OTFCC. It was like official transformer collector convention. OTFCC just, just rolls off the tongue. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And everything became more expensive. The exclusives became more expensive, you know, because they'd have like exclusive toys that you can only buy at the convention. And it was not as much fun. It just became more. It felt like and I'm remembering something from like nearly 20 years ago, but it went from like where there was more like fan interaction with each other. And then it became more about, well, here's stuff that you can buy and here's some autographs that you can get. And those were still free because back then they were still free. But what I'd like to see is if Fanatics does do a show, I want these shows to be more like Comic Cons. I want there to be more panel discussions. You know, I bring this up all the time and I'll bring it up again. But I remember in like maybe it was 2017, I remember Tops was doing just a panel after the show closed on like a Thursday or something just to talk about their new products. The room was packed because people wanted to talk about cards and they asked Tops questions and Tops answered. They'd say, oh, when is this coming out? Why, why did you put this card as a redemption in this product or whatever? Like, you were asking all these questions and they were answering. But, like, people just wanted to be around other people to interact and talk about the things that they love. And that's something that sports conventions don't give us. Basically, the business model is show up, buy stuff, go home come back the next day to buy more stuff. That's all they care about. They want to have enough vendors that they make money and they want to have enough customers to come and buy from the vendors so that the vendors keep coming back and, you know, spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on a booth. Here's my counterpoint to that. They do have panels at these big shows. The problem is, who do you want to see on these panels? Because if you could get the athletes to be on the panels or you could get the people that are involved with some of the process to be on the panels. I think that would be insightful to a lot of people. Yes. But for the last, oh, I don't know how many nationals we've had. What are these panels made up of? They're made up of all the social media guys and the so-called influencer people that have jumped into the hobby over the last few years and the people that come out and claim to be important for one reason or another up there talking about how everybody has to go out and invest all of their money in graded cards and this, that, and the other, so they can 10 X the hobby. That seems to be all they talk about. And it's over and over and over and over again. And the fanatics people are not immune to that either. So if they're doing a con for whatever reason, and it's a sports based one, even though this guy that's was hired, to be in charge of all that says that not only is it going to be fanatics products, but it's going to be other people that are, you know, pushing the sports industry and stuff like that. It's going to be their handpicked people that are allowed to display and allowed to have booths and are allowed to do what they say, because fanatics has already laid the ground rules for all the people that can sell their product going forward. They've already oh. said who could sell what, what, how they have to sell it, how it has to be displayed, how the hobby dealers have to do it, how the online retailers have to do it, how the hobby shops have to do it. They've already laid out all the rules. You can't possibly think for one second that you or I could go into one of their shows and set up a table in the corner and hawk puck junk stuff or give away our free cards and 
spend most of the time sitting there talking to people about their collections and things like that. That's not what they want. They no. want you to push their stuff and they're going to want you to push their agenda. And this I is stuff. the thing. Yeah. And this is the thing. I worry they're partnering with IMG, right? Mm-hmm. And I explained kind of what IMG was, but for those that also don't know, IMG is also the company that started the Mint Collective in Vegas. We've had this show for a few years now. And the Mint Collective is that big show that they do in Las Vegas that's supposed to be all the who's who of the hobby coming together to talk about the hobby. And you would have all of all of the talking heads from the Mint Collective there. And they would talk about all the different aspects of it. But it was more geared towards all of the people that are in the know and are the decision makers and are the high roller type people. That's not really a show that was ever necessarily geared toward the common collector. Pardon my interruption, but didn't that used to be called the Industry Summit or is that two different things? It's two different things, but it's essentially replaced the Industry Summit. Okay. I mean, that still goes on, but people don't care about that. It's the Mint Collective because it's the new shiny thing. Right, because Industry Summit was like basically you'd have tops and upper deck, you'd have like major league baseball players association so you'd have like sports leagues would be there teams would be there card companies would be there you know the big boys like beckett and com c would be there and then like once in a while you might get like some of the more popular sports card journalists there i know i looked into buying an admission there it was like 800 bucks to attend i'm not yeah. kidding it was maybe yeah, not it's a lot. maybe it was four it was put it to you this way it wasn't like a weekend pass to like a show where you spend a hundred bucks this was like you need to have somebody paying for this or you need to be able to write this off this wasn't just like oh i think i'll go to this and and spend a hundred bucks to get in this is like this is going to cost me a lot of money it's in vegas and i'm going to have to spend you know four or five hundred dollars to go to this convention and then it was all stuff about like licensing and marketing and new innovations and like sports card technology and whatever. And, you know, it sounds fascinating, but it's just, it's not for, as you say, the common person, the common collector. Yeah. And or, even the show aspect of it too was, was not really like that. And this past year, I talked to a few collectors that actually went and they said, it's just, you couldn't do anything. You really couldn't. There wasn't a deal to be had. And what do you mean what do anything? See? What do you mean? Nobody was buying. Everybody was selling too high. You couldn't make a deal out there on the floor. What did we see on, on social media? Everybody's YouTube channel and everything else. It's I'm going to turn this $50,000 card into a $500,000 card. And they go and do whatever their thing is. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is silly. It's all contrived and it's made up. Here's what I was getting to before though. Here's the scary part. And without beating this into the ground, here's the scary part. Fanatics has already encroached into almost every aspect of the hobby. The only Except. thing missing well, the only thing missing right now so far is the grading aspect. And we all know that Ruben is already I don't know if he's on the board or he owns shares or whatever of one of the C's, like CSCGS or CSG or whatever it is now. So I'm sure that's just a matter of signing off something on a piece of paper and then that'll happen. So now that they're going to do 
the shows and they're going to get in not just sponsoring a show but get in on the the ground floor of these big sports shows like the national remember last year when the national made the announcement that that john Brogy didn't have the contract to promote the national anymore as mm-hmm. his company smi that he was partners with mike burkus for all those years you know mike died in 2015 his son took over they were running it. This year in Chicago is the last show that's going to be sponsored or contracted as the organizer and the management company with SMI. This is the last year for that. Next year, it's being taken over by a new group. The new group is that, uh, what was it, JBJ Corporation. Now, I'm not saying that they're a bad group or they're going to change it or they're going to run it into the grounds. I think two of the guys run a sports promotion company. Uh, who does like the Long Island show and the White Plains show. And I think the other guy runs the East Coast Sports Marketing Group, which does the Philly show and the Chantilly show. All really big shows on the East Coast. So is it in capable hands? Probably. But it just kind of throws that wrinkle into the thing saying that maybe there's some instability on promotions and management. With the changeover, and what's to stop fanatics from stepping in and saying, here's some dollar bills, we're going to take over control of of this show. I don't know. Like I said, considering the guys that are taking this over, I think it should be in good hands. Because those other shows, hugely successful, huge shows, people talk about them, they're great shows, they get a lot of publicity, so yeah, is it in capable hands? Sure, but could it be vulnerable? Maybe. I mean, considering everything else that's gone on, so I don't. Know. I just I don't like it. You and know, at one point. What point does somebody start paying attention to say, okay, your vertical integration is starting to sound quite a bit like a monopoly? Well, and that's the thing, though. Okay, so a couple of, couple of things. First of all, the one thing that Fanatics really doesn't have its fingers in is hockey. So Upper Deck still has the hockey From a sports license. standpoint, sure. From a yeah. sports standpoint, yeah. So what I'm saying is that, like... But I bet they have a lot of the athletes. I mean, yeah, if they want to sign with a company that doesn't have anything to do with hockey, sure. What I'm saying, though, is... As a hockey card collector, a fanatic show would do very little for me because they don't make hockey cards. They make football cards, basketball cards, and baseball cards. They have soccer. They have Star Wars because they own tops. So they get all those licenses, and that's great. But what I'm saying is, is that Upper Deck probably wouldn't be a presence at the show, would they? If it was a big show that had manufacturers there, I would imagine they would have to have some but kind of But it doesn't sound like that's what they're trying to do. It sounds like they're trying to do when you start talking about, like, clothing and sneakers and stuff. It just, I don't know. It just... It, it sounds it, like an everything show. Basically, it just sounds like, what's the kind of stuff that the hobby bros like? They like sneakers. They want their $900 Jordans. Okay. And they want their baseball jerseys. Okay. And they want their cards to be graded on the spot okay and they want to be able to buy five thousand dollar boxes of cards okay and it sounds like that's the kind of show that it's going to be and i get that but the counter to that is then okay 
So let's say they do that. They do one or two of these. They become hugely successful. Now all the dealers that would normally go and set up at the national and those few ones that actually have hockey cards, because we know they're few and far between, even at the national. Now they decide we're going to go do this show instead. So they're not at the national anymore. So then what? What are we left with then? So then dealers start pulling away because Fanatics has got bigger draw. It's got bigger audience. It's got more pull, better autograph guests, maybe in different locations that are bringing in more people. I don't know. I don't see the PWCCs and the Beckets of the world pulling away from the national just because Fanatics is also doing a show. Is there room for another big show? Oh, yeah. PWCC probably. will, because they are fanatics. Well, yeah, but they're also sponsoring something at the National, at least this year. Part of that VIP lounge that Ludex is doing is also sponsored by PWCC. So, I don't know. Everything is so intertwined, it's complicated. It yep. should be kind of neat to see how this plays out, though. I don't think it's going to have any impact on, like, the smaller or regional shows because you're going to have people who are going to say, oh, I want to go to a one-day card show in my neighborhood. And they're going to go. And that's still going to be a thing. And then you'll have yeah, things like... Yeah, that's not what they're touching. They're touching right. the big ones. The White Plains show and the Chicago Sports Spectacular. I think those will be pretty well insulated, too. Because you want to know what? If the athletes only sign at this one show that Fanatics does, and there's no way they're going to lock up every single current and former athlete that's just not going to happen right and then you got people like i don't know like the peyton mannings of the world who don't really need to be a fanatics exclusive athlete because they command such a high price for their autograph and they have such a high demand for their autograph that they're going to get it you know what i mean or like bobby orr when he was signing at the sports spectacular and it was like 200 bucks for a flat item or $800 for a rookie card and people were doing it. I talked to guys who were like, Oh, I'm going to get my Bobby or rookie card signed. I'm like 800 bucks, man. Wow. That's, it's a lot of money for a little bit of ink. It's funny. You bring up Peyton Manning with fanatics. Cause he is one of fanatics guys. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a bad example. Then. <laughs> he even did. He was like the feature athlete Tom Brady? at the, uh, how about Tom Brady? Brady. I don't know who Brady signs for. Well, we'll just, instead of me saying Peyton Manning, I'll just say Tom Brady. I was probably thinking of Tom Brady when I said Peyton Manning, because, you know, I know football about as well as I can throw a football, <laughs> which isn't very far. Let's talk about ovation. Yes. Just a little bit, because I want to, I really want to get to our big topic, but. That's what I get every time I enter a room. An ovation? A ovation. Oh. A joke. Sorry. I don't know. So Upper Deck Ovation was, <laughs> was last out in 2009-2010. Now as it's, its own product, back, yes. Coming back as an EPAC product. I remember Ovation being like these sets of cards that would come on a blister card. And there'd be like four of them. There'd be like set one, set two, set three, set four, and like an update set. I'm thinking of like 0708 because I think I have like set four or something or the update set, but not any of the other sets. I think at like once upon a time, I think they were sold at retail. Like here's a set of 50 cards for 10 bucks or something, but it was just like part of the set or something. To me, it's a, just another one of those, like there's like so many things. 
2007, 2008, there was so much product out at the time, 05, 06, 06, 07, 07, 08, et cetera. So Ovation's coming back. It's an EPAC product, but every card is a physical card. So it's an EPAC product, but no digital cards. Yay. Upper Deck needs to put things into EPAC and make them be EPAC exclusives. And I think that's one of the reasons and the motivations behind this is taking a, a name that's been semi-retired and throwing it out there so that it can be an EPAC standalone product rather than something that's in packs and also online. So I get it. It makes sense. But having that as the, as they call it, the twist where all cards have physical counterparts, I think that's interesting. My question is, will ComC actually scan the individual cards or will they still be just one single scan and you never know what you're going to get from But essentially, it's a 200-card base set, 150 vets, 50 rookie cards. So it's nice that there's only 50 rookie cards. So it's at least attainable. It's not some kind of overblown rookie extravaganza of players that played one game and you've never heard from them again. But... In typical fashion, as most products come out these days, there's a bunch of parallels. Of um, course. Yeah, so you have, um, like, the standing ovations are numbered out of 500. There's gold foil in every pack, one per pack. Standing ovations are out of 250. Standing ovation red are out of 100. There's also printing plates. There's the black one-of-ones. Um, so there's a variety of things. There are autographs. I don't know how much of the prices are because they haven't put those out yet, but it's eight cards per e-pack and there's 12 e-packs per box and six per case. So every hobby box has an autograph in it and also one of those upper deck glass cards, which are like the plexi cards, which are kind of cool. Uh, you also get three world premiere cards, two other inserts, five serial numbers, and like I said, one gold per pack. So there's 12, 12 in a box. So. It'll be interesting to see what the price point is once they throw it out there. Did I'm not you... even going to guess because I'm always wrong. I'll be like, it'll be $8 a pack, and it's like $15 a pack. Yeah. If you look at the preview image, and I think Beckett and Cardboard Connection both have preview images up from the sell sheets. It's interesting. Some of the insert cards, like the world premieres or also the uh, lead performer cards, they pretty much look like the speckled foil versions of the regular upper deck mm. i mean not the design but the background yeah well they're gonna reuse they're gonna use certain foil board over and over yeah the high high regard rookies also look this look like that too so it's like lots of speckled foil going on well i'll tell you what i like and what i don't like i like the fact that it's only 50 rookie cards because like this next set we're going to talk about sp authentic has 99 rookie cards. And like you said, a lot of those guys play a game or two and then they disappear. So if you have a 21-22 product coming out before the 23-24 season, so it's already going to be like two years old by the time it comes out, you might as well narrow down that rookie checklist a little bit to just the 50 best ones instead of trying to be expansive. You know what? I get it. If you're putting out Upper Deck Series 1, Series 2, an extended series, you're trying to get as many rookie cards as you can in those sets. And I understand why people like rookie cards, and it's cool to have an expansive rookie set. But if you're making a set of cards, it's like, oh, yeah, these are players from two seasons ago. 
then you don't have to be that in-depth in your rookie card selection. And I think that's a good move. What I don't like, I've just never really been a big fan of Ovation. I think, like, its gimmick was it was a set that you could just buy. Like, you didn't put it together pack by pack. It was like a box set or, like I said, blister carded sets or whatever. I mean, it might have been distributed other ways as well, but that's just kind of how I think about it. So, I don't know. I guess, they, you know, you got to use the name. There's maybe some equity in that name. Like I said, I think I think they're going to they're going to dip into some stuff that you haven't seen for a while and make them EPAC exclusive. Mm-hmm. Like they brought back FLIR or FLIR Ultra. Right. And that's EPAC. So Ovation is going to be EPAC. They've already teased that Parker's Champions is going to be an EPAC product. Haven't seen it yet. Oh, ah, ouch. It's also not going to be the retro type product like it has been. It's going to be uh, like an, on, on everything, an all-encompassing. So it'll have current players and everything else. But oh, we really haven't seen anything. So, oh. Yeah, it's supposed to have both, but we haven't really seen anything about it yet. I like so. Parker sets being retro. Well, and the regular Parker sets for the last few years have been modern. It's just Parker's Champions was always that throwback. Right. And if this is going to also be called Parker's Champions, you'd expect it to be the same thing. But with what they had teased previously, and again, this was one that they announced it and then it fell off the face of the planet. So I don't actually remember them announcing 21-22 ovation. I feel like that came out of the blue. So I finally got around to opening a box of 21-22 SP authentic hockey cards. It's about 180 bucks for a hobby box. Used to be about 250. I think the price has kind of gradually gone down because last I checked, it's 180 a box. You get 10 packs per box. You get nine cards per pack. And then on the um, box, it says collect at least one autograph future watch rookie per box on average. There's a hundred card base set. And then there are 99, not a hundred, 99 future watch rookies so you get your 100 base cards and then you get cards 101 through 199 are future watch rookies and you get like one per box well you get one autographed one per box and then you might get one that's not autographed or you might get two that are autographed although i don't think i've ever pulled two autographed rookies from the same box of spa ever as far back as i can remember i will say just this about the base set, first of all. I've always liked SP Authentic's look. It's a nice, clean look. It's an interesting balance of, like, clean and high-tech. Meaning, like, if you think about, like, those old cards from, like, the 50s and the 60s where they would cut out the player and put them against a red background or a blue background or a yellow background, kind of like what Upper Deck does with its OPG retro cards. So what SP Authentic does that I really like is they put the player against a white background. Sometimes there's like some color swirls or something in the background, which kind of reminds me of the old Skybox sets from the early 90s, if you remember the Skybox basketball sets. But then what they also do is they put like a spot varnish on the player's photo. The player's cut out and they put like a high gloss or spot varnish coating 
over the player. So the background has a bit of more of a matte feel to it, although it's not quite matte. And then the player has like this glossy and reflective look. Then they put like the silver foil. And sometimes I make fun of cards for having too much foil, but SP Authentic, the silver foil with the white background, it's just great. I love the design of these cards. My only complaint is that there's too many cards of players wearing their road uniforms. And I get it. They play half their games on the road. But you have something like this where the players in their road uniform, they kind of blend in with the background. It's not as exciting as something like where the player is in their home uniform and they really pop off that card. It looks great. I'm a big fan of the design. This is never a set that I would actually finish because there's too many short printed rookie cards. Many of them or most of them being autographed, so that's going to just drive up the demand. But I've always liked SP Authentic, and, you know, as as far as I'm concerned, I'll continue to like SP Authentic. One thing they did change with this year, though, I think, is the size of the photo. The player photo, the the part that you said it was spot varnished, is much more pronounced and front and center and takes up more of the card than it has in the past. Because SP, like you said, it's always white. It's some kind of white. But it's always been very white. Because most of the design and the whiteness of the background has stood out. And the player is usually cropped a lot tighter on those cards than they are this year. Wait, you mean in the past they're cropped tighter? No, in yeah. the past they're more like head to toe. Yeah, because they're they're cropped down to where the player's much tinier on the card. Right. So the now reason... it's zoomed in and you have like either from the knees up or the waist up or. And there's a very good reason for that. And that's because these are 2122 products, which means the photos are from 2021. And if you remember, the 2021 was actually just in 2021. It wasn't 2020 2021, even though that was the season. It started in January of 21. And so the teams were playing in their home arenas. This wasn't the bubble league, but there were no fans. Remember, we had the stadiums with the tarps over the seats, or we had some had like cardboard fans in the stands, and you had very limited camera angles. So a lot of the products from 21-22 kind of have these boring camera angles where you have players from like the knees up or the shins up or the waist up. And that's because of the limited camera angles that photographers were given during that 2020-2021 pandemic-shortened season. I guess what I'm saying is I'd much rather have the player take up the majority of the card than the white background. But part of the design of the card was that background, and there'd be kind of like an interesting geometric pattern, like a color burst or something behind the player. And then the player would be kind of like like either emanating from that or overlapping with that in some interesting way. But there was still a lot of white space around it. And yeah, I get it. You'd rather be able to see more of the player and less of their skate laces. And I get that. But Well, and there's many years where you can take like 07, 08, 09, 10, 11, 12, and look at all of the SPs and you're like, which one's which? I have no right. idea. Because right. they all start to look similar. And so you have to really know, okay... This one's background design, they went diagonally. And this one, they were kind of curved. And this Mm -hmm. year, they were pointy things sticking up. And 
I don't want to say it becomes monotonous, but kind of. But that's the theme. Like, that's what it always looked like. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying this year, I feel like it was a departure kind of from where it had been. Okay, I see what you mean. So with the rookie cards, like I said, some are autographed or most are autographed. Some aren't. Uh, but you'll love this. The cards are, as they say, hard signed. Not a fan of that term. I'll just say signed on card because the autograph is signed on the card, not on a sticker that got affixed to the card later on. But, you know, hard signed, you know, that's that's what they like to say. It's like what they like to call it. So if anybody cares, my future watch auto in my box was Garrett Pilon, who's played, I think, a total of three games for the Capitals. So what? Garrett Pilon, you're yeah. rich. Yeah. You're rolling in the dough now. Mm-hmm. Now, I did actually get a second autograph in my box, which was really cool. It was an Anton Lundell limited auto patch numbered out of 99. And that's actually pretty cool. It's a nice looking card. Oh, wow. That's a nice patch. Yeah, it's a nice patch piece. And again, the autograph is on card. Is that part of a letter or a number? It looks like part of a, a number. That was nice. Now, you get a ton of inserts like my box had 56 base cards and then 30 inserts or parallels counting the uh, auto patch so by the way you do get nine cards per pack if you get a thick patch card then you only get five cards in that pack you know what was interesting was one of my packs was shorted it only had eight cards and i was like hey and then like when i got to like you know a few packs in later then that pack had 10 cards so i still got as many cards as i was supposed to but it was just weird to be like shorted a card in a pack and then get like one extra card in another pack but almost by design almost yeah so there's one insert set called pageantry and i don't know what to think about these cards there's so much foil on them i don't know if i love them or if they're an eyesore or if i love them because they're an eyesore but these kind of remind me of like something that you'd see in like 95 tops hockey or like even like mm-hmm. those flare retro type inserts from like the 2000s 2010s you know what that um, looks like to me it looks what? like remember ultimate victory Oh, yeah, those were reprised a couple years ago in Extended Series. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of, like, the ultimate victory with all that crazy foil, speckled foil. It's got, like, this swirly foil pattern. It almost looks like an early 90s Broder card, like those fake cards. Yeah, I can see that, too. My first job was working in a card and comic book store, and I remember we had all these Shaquille O'Neal fake cards and like half of them had like foil borders like this or like almost the whole background was foil because that's what became really big in the 90s so pageantry at first i thought these were like one per pack i got seven out of my 10 packs had a pageantry card so they're pretty common who was that one chicago blackhawks legend taylor hall Oh, yeah, Chicago Blackhawks legend Taylor Hall. I mean, he hasn't played a game yet, so I can't use him for Puck Doku when they had, like, the Blackhawks and the Bruins. They did a Puck Doku game a couple days ago where it was just all original six teams. And I'm like, all right, no complaints here. Yeah, that one was too easy, but I made it too easy, so I got a bad score. Oh, it was too easy, and I was like, first I was like, I'm going to just pick obscure goalies. And then I'm like, okay, darn it. I can't think of an obscure goalie who played for this team and this team. So then I just kind of went with like 
tried to be obscure and I got like a uniqueness score of nine. That's pretty good. Nine players. Well, some of them were like 0.3% or whatever. Like some of the guys that I picked. I think my lowest score has been like 30 something. That's good. But anywho, so, you know, then they have like die cuts. You know, they're really liberal with the foil. There's die cuts that have foil. There's this insert set called Crew Leaders, which also has foil. And I actually think these are kind of pretty cool looking. Almost kind of look like a like a movie poster, like the 75th Oscars or something. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I can see that. You know, or, or almost looks like the Rocket Richard trophy. It's got like metal like flourishes behind the player. I can um, see that too. You know, but then of course they do like a blue one that doesn't look that great. I mean, it looks all right, but it just looks less all right. Is the blue I, foil? It's blue foil, yeah. Okay. So my complaint is always, well, like not my one complaint. I have lots of complaints. But a popular complaint of mine is that there's just too many freaking parallels. Honestly, I think that's why This more is the people, world we live in now. No, but I think that's why more people don't build insert sets. Because they're overwhelmed by them. So yeah. they just give up. They just give up. It's really hard to do or you pick one and you stick with it and then you're still building it three years later. Like I'm still building the 2021 UD portraits, the saved by the bell design, right? I still need cards from that. I guess I could just go on Com C and scoop up the rest now. But when you have like, there's a yellow version and there's a pink polka dot version and there's the purple horseshoe version and there's the yellow cheetah version. It just blue diamond, blue yeah. diamonds. Right. I feel like if there were less insert sets, well, two things would happen if there were less insert sets. One, they could take these cool designs that sometimes get squandered on an insert and make a set of it. So I look at like this true leader set. Maybe this would have been a better for the base card design for SP Authentic this year. I don't know. I'm just saying. But when you have to come up with 15 different insert sets in a set of cards, you go through a lot of designs that might be better served elsewhere. The other thing is, is that if there was a more finite amount of inserts, you'd probably have more master set builders. Like we tried to be in the 90s, right? We're like, oh, I got the whole... Pro set platinum set. Now I need to get all 18 PC inserts. And maybe you only got four of those per box. But guess what? 18 of them? That's pretty attainable. 93, 94 top stadium club. It's like, oh, I need to get all 23 tops Team USA cards and all 23 all star cards, right? But again, hard to get. You know, maybe you got a couple in a box, but still a very attainable number. They weren't like, four different versions of each one where you go, damn it, I want the regular version and I got the red version, but I really wish I just had the regular version. And so I feel like there'd be more master set builders who'd say, you know what, I'm going to build the set and I'm going to chase down all the inserts. But when there's like 15 different insert sets to collect, you just throw up your hands and go, hey, whatever, I don't care. Even though they weren't the first to do it, I blame Pacific for that because Pacific was like one of the first manufacturers that every set was inundated with parallels. And that goes back to 95, 96, that time frame when they started putting things up. Because there would be the base cards, silver, copper, red, blue, green, emerald. It got crazy. And as the years went on, they added more and more and more. And so there were just tons and tons and tons of them. 
Then it kind of went away for a little bit. And now it's all back and it's back tenfold. Because I know what you're saying. I've been looking at doing the Fleer Ultra Fabulous 50 set, mm-hmm. the, the insert set, because it's all retired players. And I think it's a cool set for the most part. I think there's two players that are current. But I looked at that to see, you know, what would it be to do Fleer Ultra? Now, keep in mind, this is an EPAC only set, but there's the base cards and there's the blue foil and then there's the silver foil and then there's the gold speckle. And then the gold rainbow and the green foil and the rainbow foil and the red foil and the red rainbow foil and the silver rainbow foil and the speckled rainbow foil. That's 10 I've named and I haven't even named them all. And that's just the base cards. Then you add in the 30th anniversary and then there's 30th anniversary autographs and then 30th anniversary gold and then all of the insert sets and every one of the insert sets for the most part has a base version and a gold version and this and that. I mean, when all said and done, if you don't count the base cards just by themselves and you only count everything else, I mean, Flare Ultra just by itself has probably 50 different sets within itself right. to collect to build a master set. So you're right. It's virtually impossible to do that. Well, and that's the thing. Because people don't build master sets and a lot of these inserts end up in my three for a dollar boxes or in dime boxes, quarter boxes, or for, you know, 33 cents on Com C or whatever, because people are just like, well, I'm not going to build this. And other people are like, well, I'm not going to build this either because, you know, I'm just going to stick to the base set and the rookies. So my 2009-10 champs set that I'm putting together, it's kind of a master set, but it's a pseudo master set because there's no way I could build a full master set especially considering you have all the mini cards mm-hmm. and all the mini cards have red backs and blue backs and alternate backs. And every one of them has a version of that, not to mention the yellow animal parallels, which most of them are impossible to find and have never surfaced. Couple that with all the autographs and especially the hall of fame autographs that are included in there that include not only hockey players, but also other sports. So there's stuff in there like Michael right. Jordan, for instance, or Joe Montana, or you know players like that. So it's impossible to, to build it. So I'm slowly muttering away at most of the parallels and then all of the 500 some base cards. So yeah, it's hard for set builder. You know the chase of being able to put together a master set. I think those days are long gone. I think it'd be easier if we just didn't have the red and blue and all the other versions of base cards. Sure. Okay. Why not? But like with the insert cards, then it's just like, okay, am I inserts should be inserts. There shouldn't be parallels of the inserts. Right. I think that's the line. I just don't want to cross. Right. Even MVP has parallels to the inserts. MVP comes out and they have gold parallels of all the inserts. Right. Remember they did the mirror mirror that had like the different photo. Yeah, like this past year, the pinpoints and yep. the d- yes. the domains all have gold versions. Yeah, I actually pulled a gold pinpoint, and I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. It's gold, it's silver, silver foil, gold foil. I think the gold ones look better than the silver ones, but still, the fact that there's one of each, it's like, come on. This is an entry-level set, and there's parallels to the parallels. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, but with SP, it's 
not not exactly an entry level set if you're no, not paying about eighteen bucks a pack. Eighteen bucks a pack, but two autographs. Bucks. Yeah. One guaranteed, and one you're probably going to get another one. Right. Yeah, that's definitely affordable. I mean, when it comes to two autographs in, in the box, you know, I've seen worse. I've seen $300, $350 for one auto. I'm struggling in a good way. I'm struggling to find a time when I was disappointed with a box break of SP Authentic. I don't mean that I looked at the rookie card and said, eh, this guy, eh. Because you know what, if it's a player you like, or if it's the hot rookie that year, then yeah, of course, you're going to be happier that you got that player regardless of the product. But like looking at SP Authentic, I've always liked the set. I know like a lot of times when Upper Deck would do its redemption programs at the National, and they'd be like, buy four packs of SP Authentic, open them at our booth, and we'll give you a redemption pack. Or they'd put out like a list of cards that you could buy, like this or this or this or this. And I'd be like, well, I already have all the Upper Deck Series 2 that I need. So, all right, I'll buy SP Authentic. And, you know, I'd buy a couple boxes of it so that I'd have the packs to open each day at the National. And I was never, like, regretting that I bought a box of SP Authentic. Now, contrast that with Panini when they would do their show redemption programs. And I think one year I bought a box of Luxury Suite and I was like so underwhelmed with like what I got. And then I remember like, or you Luxury could buy Suite was rough. Or you could buy score. And it's like more score. Okay, fine. You know, and it was just like, okay, so I could either buy this this cheap product score, but I think it was like a box of like jumbo packs or something. So it wasn't like a $30 box, it was like a hundred dollar box of jumbo packs or like a box of luxury suite. And I think I bought one of each. And then, like, I got my redemption packs, and they were all, like, football cards. And I'm like, this is terrible. I hate you, Panini. Why you do this to me? You make me spend $200 on hockey cards that I kind of don't want so that I could have football cards that I definitely don't want. Plus, even though I'm still building those sets, those score sets were terrible. Yeah. Yeah, at least with Upper Deck and their redemption sets. I mean, I'd be like, uh... I didn't get a hockey autograph. I just got this LeBron James guy. Oh, darn. I guess I'll have to settle for this LeBron James autograph that I got in this redemption pack. Like one year, I think I got LeBron James and I got Ryan Sandberg and I got a couple of Blackhawks. You know, it was pretty, it was pretty good, you know, but I was doing a lot of the redemption packs. Upper Deck still hasn't said what their plans are for the national. Of course, that could change any moment now, but they will be there. But I don't know what kind of redemption program they're doing. Speaking of redemption, did you get a bounty card in your box? Ah, uh, you know, I got two cards that had the scratch off areas. They oh, were you got both, two of them. Okay, I got two of them. So I, they I think are. You're these, only supposed to get one. Well, I got two Spectrum FX. One is a base card. One is a rookie card. Okay. And they also have copious amounts of foil. And actually. There's these other cards, amounts. copious amounts, and then there are these other cards called SP Top Rookies, and those also have copious amounts of foil. There's a lot of foil. This is a Hanson Brothers set. They just put on the foil. Nice. Putting nice. on the foil, coach. Are you going to redeem your bounty cards? For what? You need to get, like, all of them, and then you scratch them, and then you put in the yeah. codes. Yeah, are you going to chase those? No. You're going to go on eBay and, like, buy all the unscratched codes? Nope. But with these bounty programs, you know what? They're not for me. They're for other people. I like SP Authentic. 
definitely going to try to either build or buy a base set because these are cards that, you know, even though from year to year, the design is pretty similar. I still just like the way these cards look. I think about what hockey cards looked like 30 years ago. And I look at something like this now, and I'm like, man, this is just amazing. And I know I'm just geeking out over simple computer graphics, which are like nothing. But, you know, the 15 year old in me still thinks these are pretty freaking cool. It's far cry from airbrushing the jersey and superimposing somebody else's head on a different body. Oh, I saw. I feel like you're spoiling one of the puck junk I'm bad hockey card anything. Hall of I'm Fame not. trading cards that I'll be giving out at the National this year. I'm not spoiling anything. All right. So, any last thoughts before we wrap this one up and call it a podcast? I think that the sun will come up tomorrow. That's what I think. That's based on the empirical evidence that the sun has risen every day of your life. I'm just going out on a limb. Well, you heard it here from us first that the sun will rise tomorrow. And also, SP Authentic is pretty cool, and I recommend it. What do you think? Recommend? Yay, nay? I say yay. In years past, I've generally bought a box or two of this. Mm -hmm. I just haven't in the last few years because, well, I haven't bought a whole lot of anything in the last few years. So Yeah, and it's been tough, especially with stuff coming out all helter-skelter. I mean, here we're at the end of the... 22-23 season right before the 23-24 season and we're talking about a 21-22 product but it's still going to be like that for a while so we'll just make the best of it great the sun will come up tomorrow all right well thank you for listening to the puck junk hockey podcast as always if you've enjoyed the show please be sure to like and subscribe if you're coming to the national sports collectors convention in chicago please be sure to visit the puck junk booth at booth number 1011 and until next time collect what you like for more hockey goodness follow us on twitter at puck junk